television, that's not the stakes. You know, making these deadlines, that's not the stakes. The stakes are real relationships, who you choose to spend your life with and how you choose to spend it. And the fact that with a podcast that I make right here from my house, I can change people's lives like that. Why wouldn't everyone be podcasting, right? Podcast Junkies, episode 255. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. Newcomers, it's the show where I speak to some of the most fascinating folks in the world of podcasting. We get to learn a little bit about their shows, but more importantly, a lot more about them and their inspiration for starting the show and what keeps them going in the world of podcasting. Last episode, we spoke to Brian Barletta. He's the host of Sounds Profitable, a deep dive into the world of podcasting ad tech. This week, I have the pleasure of speaking with Demona Hoffman. She's the host of Dates and Mates and FreshBooks' I Make a Living podcasts. She's a seasoned television producer, former network executive, and certified dating and relationship coach. She joins the show to discuss her passion for producing lifestyle content and is the host of Dates and Mates, a podcast that features a variety of experts on love and relationships. In this episode, we discuss the value of forging genuine connections, best practices Demona implements into her podcasting, and the power of listening, something I harp on a lot in this show. We talk about the concept of playing the long game and the innate ability podcasts have to enrich all of our lives. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlet 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording, the 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. As always, full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 255. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I start to sound like a broken record, so best to take action. Leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies. Some of you may or may not know this, but I also host another show called The Vertical Farming Podcast. It was started in 2020 and came out of an inspiration I had after reading Peter Diamandis' book, Abundance. So I won't get into the specifics, but just wanted to let you know that season three launches this week. And the URL is pretty easy. It's verticalfarmingpodcast.com. Conversations with interesting founders and CEOs of some of the leading vertical farming companies in the world. Stay till the end of the episode, and I'll reveal this week's retention hashtag. For now, let's get into my conversation with Demona. Demona Hoffman, host of Dates and Mates and the I Make a Living podcast. Thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. What an honor. Thank you for having me. (laughs) The honor is mine. Thank you. You are OG. (laughs) Yeah, you know, eight years in the podcast game. It's I feel like I've I've earned my battle scars, but I know there are people listening, I'm sure, that have been even longer. Do you remember earlier conversations eight years ago when you might have mentioned to people what you're doing and they're like, what's that? And uh, <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, yeah. I didn't call it a podcast. I would say my internet radio show. And also, I do a lot of mainstream media. And whenever I would mention it, like, can you plug my podcast? They'd be like, what? And then it was really about, I want to say three years ago, then they started to actually ask, do you have a podcast? And that became more the promotion than anything else that I was doing. You know, it's funny when lately you see it make its way into the public domain, like SNL does skits on it. 
and <laughs> and then the New Yorker does cartoons about it, and I think it's just like it's common now that people are familiar, even with the phrase now. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that I I stuck it out. There were some dark years, Harry. There were some dark years where I was like, "What am I doing? Like, why am I doing this?" Because yeah. right before people like celebrities started getting into the game and more money started coming into podcasting. For me, it really was a labor of love, and I used it as sort of the content engine for everything else that I was doing. But there were many years where I was not making a dime, and in fact, I was paying for it out of my pocket just because I believed that people were eventually going to embrace the medium. Someone who's always been drawn to tech and technology? No. (laughs) I'm not techie. I'm a creative, though. I came from working in television. I worked at CBS and Paramount and NBC and Sci-Fi Channel, but I was not, I was not like a sci-fi geek. Everybody assumed that. And I'm like, what? What is this Star Have you ever seen a UFO? No, I've never seen a UFO. I'm really geeky about ghosts though. I don't know how your audience feels about that, but that's kind of what got into, got me into that genre. I oversaw the show Ghost Hunters. So I had always, yeah, I'd always been in mainstream media and I really wanted to create something that was my own. And while I was working in television, I was I initially started out as a casting director. It's funny, you asked me like if I was into tech. I started using dating apps, not because I was into tech, but because I was super frustrated with the dating scene in LA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I worked in casting and I would teach actors how to market themselves and have headshots, that stood out to someone like me, I knew what to do to my dating profile to get noticed by the kind of men that I wanted to meet. And then I met my husband online and everybody was like, wait, you have to show me what you did. And that's when I started writing dating profiles on the side all the time while I was working in television. But people assume that I'm really techie because I started a podcast kind of on the early side. I also was an early adopter of dating apps, but I would in no way identify myself as like a, as a techie person. (laughs) When did the podcast journey start? Pretty soon after I left sci-fi, I was looking for a way to let people know about my services as a dating coach. And it's funny because I, I felt like I had something to say. I looked to radio shows like Loveline and, you know, Dr. Laura. And I was like, I would love to have an advice and a pot. Well, at that time, in a radio show. And I was like, you got to build it. You know, I've just seen for so long as a producer and a casting director that people don't just wait to give you opportunities. You have to make them yourself. And there's been so much I've been able to build and leverage off of my podcast but still no one comes up and hands me opportunities. But I've really actually used my podcast to get people in the studio who I wanted to meet and then build relationships. But I'm really playing the long game, Harry. Like I've eight years is, is a drop in the bucket. Mm. I intend to be doing this for far longer. And I look at every connection, every conversation as part of the larger goal. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because it's it's a phrase that I think some people have heard or used, and, and I've come to appreciate more of what that means. But when you say playing the long game, where did you first understand or come across that concept? And why is that important to you? That's a genius question. I don't know if I can answer where I first 
got the idea, but I can say throughout my career in television, I saw that there, <laughs> I saw people go up the chain and I saw people, they say, <laughs> The same people, be nice to everyone because the same people you see on the way up are the same ones you're going to see on the way down. And it literally happened to me. Like there was a a high-level executive at one of the companies I worked at. I will not name which one. You'll let people speculate and guess. And my boss was like, you got to promote Demona. She's amazing. She's working really hard. We got to promote her. And he was like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really seen, like he had no direct contact with me. So he wouldn't let her promote me. I ended up leaving, going to another company. And then several years later, I took a pitch and guess who walks in the door pitching me a show trying to get me to buy a show same person and we ended up buying it I ended up working with him and still like even though I knew he was the one that blocked my promotion same people you see on the way up are the same people you're gonna see on the way down and they might be on the way up again so I'm not I'm still nice and respectful to everyone and it, it ended up we formed a business relationship and you know we are still in contact to this day and he's asked me to help him out with other things I you know I've referred people to him so that's just always been a part of my philosophy and the way that I work with people and so many of the relationships that I built in early in my career I'm still in contact with those people some of them have opened other doors in television or in podcasting and I don't form relationships with people because of their resume or because the chair that they're sitting in, because I know all that stuff can change. I really look to connect with people, which I think is one of the reasons I love podcasting so much. And I love doing the other podcasts that I do as well and have been able to put a wide range of projects under my umbrella, because if they all start with making connections with people, that's really the through line throughout my entire career. It's really interesting. I always tell clients and students when my intention when I'm on a podcast interview is go in it with the energy as if I was going to have a relationship with this guest for the rest of my life. And nine times out of 10, it's not going to happen because it's been 250 interviews on this show and I don't have 250 lifelong friends. But (laughs) there's something different that happens when you intentional about the conversations you have here. And I think to what you were speaking about this idea of you never know who it is that you're talking to and just treating people with kindness and being respectful. I think it's easier when you're in the same building because I was in corporate for almost 20 years and you literally are in the elevator. So when you say seeing people you see going up and going down, it's, you could probably be standing next to them in the, in the elevator if the company is big enough. But I think the challenge sometimes now in this world that we're living in post COVID, a lot of companies are not going back to their offices. And so I think it's, I wonder if now people have this out of sight, out of mind mentality, like, Oh, I saw that person virtually. I'm probably won't see them again or for a while. And and I wonder now if it's harder for people to have that mentality and that mindset. Oh, that's a really good point. I have to see all of this as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. I kind of look at everything through that prism. And I actually feel like I have made so many new relationships that are really, really strong because there's almost this intimacy too of bringing someone into your home through video, right? It's almost more connected than if you just see someone in one setting. So I think it could be, you could disconnect or you could use this time to lean in and connect deeper 
it's sort of up to you. <laughs> yeah. What has been helpful for you now? We're getting almost to a year since the shutdown. And so what have you noticed about your habits, about your ways of intentionally communicating with, you know, people you meet, friends, coworkers, you know, people in your community? It's been a really interesting time. I've had friendships that have been made from this time, and I've also had friendships that have been lost. I was reading an article about this and on how the pandemic really is a clarifier. It's a clarifier and an accelerator. You really figure out, hopefully you and your listeners have experienced this too, you figure out who you actually want to spend time with, what mm. really, really matters in your life, and you prioritize that. So for me, I have two little kids and a husband I adore who I met online 17 years ago, and I feel like I've gotten to know everyone in my family on a much deeper level. I really feel like it's strengthened our bonds. I also cannot wait for my kids to go back to school and get the heck out of my house. <laughs> Just speaking honestly. How old are they? Six and ten. Okay. Yeah, so they're at a t- at an age where they're not totally independent. I'm sure it's even harder for people who have kids that are even smaller to juggle all of these different hats. Like, I'm sort of wired for that. I've always been a multitasker. I'm a spicy Sagittarius. So I, <laughs> I love that pace. But I think for people who don't, really thrive in that kind of pacing. I know it's been really hard. I also know from my client base and my listeners on Dates and Mates, it's been really difficult for those who are completely isolated, who live alone and have not had any direct human contact. It's hard for everybody, but I have to look for the silver lining and I have to spread the sunshine (laughs) because that's the only way I think that we're we're going to get through. So I'm doing a lot with my clients and listeners of just reframing this period because really in dating, it's absolutely still possible. I actually just before I logged on with you got an email from someone who wrote into my podcast and then I put in my LA Times column their question. And he said that he took my advice and his relationship has deepened and is becoming more serious. And I have to believe that that is one scenario that is possible for people because I've seen it again and again. But I also get a lot of letters every week from people that are just like, should I just give up? Should I just give up on dating? Am I ever going to meet someone? And we tend to do that, right? Like the moment that we're in feels interminable and we forget that there was a time before and that there will be a time after because we can't see it. We can't see it yet. So I'm trying to just get people to focus on their self-care. I'm doing this myself. I've been meditating more. I've been riding my Peloton. I've been journaling and practicing gratitude. I have my kids now around the table say what they're grateful for every day before we eat. And I really feel like that's helped put things in perspective and, again, play the long game because we don't know how much longer we're going to be in this. And if you don't mind sharing, what was the advice you gave that listener for the relationship? Because I think uh, people (laughs) listening now would be like, oh, please tell me what's that tidbit. (laughs) Well, I want people to listen to the podcast and read the LA Times column, but this is just a a small snippet because I I do answer questions every week. And this person said they met someone on an online platform on Twitch People tend to think of online dating as just dating apps, but it's anything online. I know of people who've connected 
on Facebook or through online meetup groups or speed dating. So this person met somebody on Twitch and they were in New York and he's in LA and he was like, how do I know if this is for real? And for years I've coached people on long distance relationships and I said, you really have to, you have to meet. You have to meet in person quickly because you can waste a lot of time. (laughs) You can waste a lot of time online with people that don't actually intend to meet you or people who don't live up to the fantasy that you've you've imagined their life or your connection to be. So I said, you're going to have to go for it and figure it out. Like either I said in the article, like either put on, you know, one of those pseudo hazmat suits or stock up on coffee for what might be the longest car trip of your life. And he texted me or he emailed me to say he just got back from New York on Monday and he's going to send me a picture. So it's just like when I get emails like that, I'm just so it just makes it all worth it. And I think of all the the times that I stressed in television and the high stakes that we seemed to believe we were under. And I just look at this and I say, these are the stakes. Television, that's not the stakes. You know, making these deadlines, that's not the stakes. The stakes are real relationships, who you choose to spend your life with and how you choose to spend it. And the fact that with a podcast that I make right here from my house, I can change people's lives like that. Why wouldn't everyone be podcasting, right? <laughs> Did you always know you wanted to get into TV, broadcasting? And Did you know that early on? I did. I did. It's funny. I used to be painfully shy, but I really was. Like, I was so shy. My mother had to take on the playground. She would take me up to other kids and say, this is my daughter, Demona. Will you play with her? Like, I would say like, oh, I want to play with that kid, but I'm just like, I'm so scared to talk to her. And so when I was about 10 or 11, my mom took me to a community theater audition because she was like, maybe she could do theater and that'll break her out of her shell. And I we were late because my mom's chronically late. <laughs> now I'm usually very punctual because of it. But we were late. I had never done and I didn't know anything about plays. And I started reading the script in front of everybody. It was terrifying. And then I didn't know you're not supposed to read the things in parentheses or like stage directions. I read the whole thing and people were laughing and I was like, oh my God, they're laughing at me. This is terrible. And I left and the director called the next day and she's like, I thought Demona was adorable. I want to put her in the show. I have a non-speaking part for her. And I was like, no. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Here I was no. terrified and I was like, no, I'm not doing a non-speaking part. <laughs> I passed on my first gig. But then <laughs> she said, okay, how about if I give, if I take, take like two lines from another character and give them to you, will you do it? And I said, yes. And honestly, that moment, forever changed my life. I am so grateful to that person for seeing something in me that I didn't even see myself. And it wasn't even just the theater and the performing, which I think is like, I even do improv with my dating coaching clients to help them get better at flirting and communicating. I think theater and that kind of artistic expression helps everyone. And I'm very bullish on this for children, especially like a lot of a lot of arts education programs are being cut. And gosh, in the pandemic, we're going to need it more than ever coming out of it. But soapbox aside, I also got involved in a community that really changed my life. Like I 
I was in a place where I felt like I fit in and I belonged. I was able to wear a lot of different hats and we couldn't just be the star of the show. We had to work backstage. And it really gave me the sense of when you're making content, you're part of something bigger. And it's not just about being on the mic or you know being the face of whatever the production is. It's about being a part of the whole and making something together. So that really was the beginning of, of my entertainment journey. And then I went on to study, to study theater in college. And I loved LA and just always knew that it was my place. My grandparents lived in Orange County. And mm. when I would get off that plane from snowy, wintry Michigan with my my park on trees at the airport. and then yeah like walking off that john wayne airport walking off that on the tarmac and it was palm trees and sunny and breezy and beautiful i'm like this is magic california is magic and i have to be there and that was 20 and, years ago and then how <laughs> about the I, early on in my um corporate career i had a, a couple of times i needed to get into uh, orange county and what's funny is the the departure when you have the runway so short. So when you take off, the airplane is like, like at a 45 degree angle. I don't know if you remember that, but it's almost like you're, I visually remember it because it's different than any other flight when you're taking off. You're literally like up in the air, like it's a rocket ship because they have to like, like ascend so quickly. When I don't remember that, but yeah, I remember yeah. just loving every minute. And, you know, I probably didn't want to remember that because that was always when I was leaving, right? That's and true, I that's never true. wanted to leave. So I feel so lucky that I was able to build the life that I envisioned. And that's something that I also really try to pass on through my podcasts. Like, you have choices, regardless of the cards that you've been dealt. And, you know, I'm a woman of color. So I'm a Jewish woman of color. <laughs> I'm a, an enigma wrapped in minority wrapped in a yeah. So I get that people are dealt tough hands. But if we can just remember, like, you can create your reality. And especially like podcasting, it I just feel like it just levels the playing field. You know, there's no gatekeeper. Well, there are gatekeepers. Mm -hmm. We can talk about that. But, <laughs> but, you know, you don't have to wait for permission to start yeah. something amazing. Yeah, I think people are too worried in the beginning about getting it perfect or sounding right. And I repeat this ad nauseum, like no one likes their first, no podcaster likes their first episode. They don't like the sound of their voice. You know, the editing is all screwed up. And I always mention the, the Pat Flynn example. Like, he sat on his first episode for like a year. He had like heavy metal music, like in the beginning. It was like totally like off brand, if you know anything about him. And it sounds super awkward. <laughs> but he had just been blogging and then he decided to start one. But like, like everything else, you got to put in the reps. And I always say your 10th is going to be better than your first, your 50th is better than your 10th. Definitely. Um, but you just got to keep at it. So, talk about early days with Dates and Mates. Did you have an idea of what you wanted the show to be and how you got it off the ground? Oh, boy. That was a while ago, Harry. Well, I relate to the embarrassment of <laughs> early episodes. I don't think anyone will see the early episodes. They're gone from... <laughs> I only have my last hundred because, episodes. Because everyone, if they see you now, if they were to see you as a podcaster, we're like, wow, I can never aspire to what Demona's sound quality and professionalism and like your consistency but i think talking about those early days is helpful yeah especially with the, the visibility and we keep getting new 
renaissances in podcasting and this is just just another wave that's coming with more people expressing interest so i think the more we can share our early stories with people i think that it'll sort of humanizes us as well and, and lets them know that there is a way forward yeah for sure it's funny because i love it when people see me on tv and they're like you're such a natural and i'm like it is amazing how much training it takes to be natural on camera or behind the mic so no this is like hours and hours and it, and it's not even like I just, it's just the practice of doing it. I listen back to my episodes. I watch every TV appearance I've done. I make notes on how to improve it. Like, and I can see the progress. And I still don't think, I don't think we're ever a finished product. I still look at ways that I can improve. But I kind of feel like I cheated a little bit, Harry, because of all my producing experience. Yeah. Even my first episode maybe started out a little bit better than where some people begin just because I had that understanding of content, story structure, pacing, and all of that. But I used to heavily script out my podcasts. I would read, and I I used to do them live, which was the best, best training I could ever recommend because it was a streaming internet internet radio show. I had a studio because I didn't trust myself to do all the tech Uh, as we've established, I'm not a tech expert. I still really don't know what half the buttons on my board do, but I just know like they've been set and Demona, just don't touch them. (laughs) Just don't. My goal is... Audience clapping effect? (laughs) Nope, I don't have any of that. (laughs) We put all of our effects in and post and the goal is like, Demona, just don't screw it up. Just do what you do. Don't try and do other people's jobs. (laughs) You have a bunch of cables with tape that says don't touch. (laughs) Yes, that is 100% accurate. Like don't, I literally have like tape over certain things. You know this, you know this very well. So... I used to read while I was live on camera and live streaming and read my introductions like word for word. I would really heavily script out my interviews and research really, really heavily. Not that I don't anymore, but I I just developed a skill to sort of thin slice and, and cut through to get to the points that I really need. The other thing that I feel like I've learned a lot is how to really produce for my audience and not for me. And that, I think, is a big flip for a lot of podcasters. Like, you're not doing a podcast for yourself. If you were, you could just you just talk to yourself and <laughs> record voice memos and play them I think back. that's super important to double-click, as they say, on that. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit more about that and when you say that, what that means for you and your show? Well... Initially, I started out very broad, like it's dates and mates. It could be for daters or it could be for people in a relationship. And I would just book guests all across the spectrum. I had a really broad interpretation of what that term meant. But then as I started to get feedback, and I think all feedback is valuable, even if I don't like it. (laughs) I've gotten a lot that I don't like. But I really try to hear it like, when somebody said this, the levels are all off and the sound quality needs to be improved. I'm like, okay, like I'm trying my hardest, but I need to hear this and make a change to give that person a better experience. When people tell me, oh, I don't like, I don't like it when she has guests on talking about politics. <laughs> politics doesn't belong in dating, even though it's like the number one filter now for people in dating. Oh yeah, I But imagine. I try to hear it. I try to hear it and say like, 
I think it's easy to just be like, well, if you don't like it, then this isn't the show for you. But I'm not making the show for myself. I'm making the show for my audience. So I have to, you know, take it all with a grain of salt because sometimes people are just ranting, you know, their own personal frustrations. But I just try to take it all in and shape it. So now the show has evolved to be much more dating focused. It's more like 75, 80% dating. When I have relationship experts, which I do have from time to time on the show, I always try to make the takeaway, knowing that most of my audience is still single or is in an early phase of dating, I try to make it more like aspirational. This is what you can learn as you are building your relationship. And remember that I'm I'm serving that audience. I'm giving that audience content that speaks to where they are right now. And the more I've done that, the more my show has grown. I have actually almost doubled my audience in literally nine months, which is insane because I've been doing this show for eight years. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I think that's the part that people don't see or don't appreciate because a lot of times it's that constant, consistent, slow growth over time and, and in your case, years that lead you to this moment inflection point now. And because of the time you've put in, when you have the opportunity, you know, like they say, luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? And it's not something that people would say like, oh, wow, it's just, it's funny how you just, your show just grew all of a sudden. And it's not, and it wasn't all of a sudden to your point. It's, it's the reps you put in. It's the time you put in. It's the experience you have that I think sometimes people don't give enough credit to. Yeah. And I am so strategic. I really made the decision about two years ago. I was like, I need to focus on podcast growth because I do a lot of other things. You know, I write for newspapers and magazines and I coach clients. And I was doing the show, as I said, as a live streaming radio show and then converting it to a podcast and then saying like, why isn't my podcast audience growing? And I realized that I really needed to invest in my equipment, invest in the quality of my audio and make it audio first. Yes, we could do video clips for social, but I couldn't make it the best audio show possible while also thinking about the video broadcast. So I was like, Dates and Mates, I'm drawing a line in the sand here. Dates and Mates is a podcast. And that is the experience that I need to invest in for my audience. And that's really when things began to to take off. But I also became really strategic about growth and like looking for ways to promote and really looking at how each choice I made, each promotion I did, how it performed. It's very hard to track in podcasting because it really wasn't built on the same kind of metrics that say, you know, television yeah. or even like email marketing or, you know, direct to consumer marketing have been built upon. But you can kind of see, you can kind of see trends. And I literally, I look at my numbers, my download numbers, probably three times a day. No joke. <laughs> so, can, so this is obviously a podcast about podcasting. So it's, yeah. we can, you can geek out a little bit here. And I think we have you know, veteran podcasters listening, but also new podcasters as well. So can you think of two or three things when it comes to knobs that you turned in terms of like moving the needle and things that you've tried, obviously, you know, maybe things that didn't work that most podcasters might think do because of you've been doing this for such a long time, I'd be interested in your perspective because I imagine 
something that worked maybe six years ago doesn't work now and vice versa. So, and then coming at the experience and, and being methodical, which I love because I'm OCD. I love my me, my Google spreadsheets <laughs> and my formulas for tracking all this stuff and, and monitoring like KPIs. I used to manage a reporting team when I worked at E-Trade. So I'm, I can geek out <laughs> on tracking, yeah. which I love because it, it, it's the adage of what gets measured gets managed. Yes, exactly. And I'm not, again, I'm a creative. I'm not so good with the spreadsheets, but I can, on a rudimentary level, I can see, oh, I wrote an LA Times article on Saturday and my podcast went up and it's not in alignment with the regular trend because usually, you know, most launch days are huge. You know, a little drop the next day, a little drop the next day and until you have your next launch. So I can look at the trends from that and kind of track back to what has worked. So, yes, and I'm very transparent. Like, I believe in sharing information and I always believe that more for me, more for you is more for me and more for everybody else, too. So I'll tell you specifically the things that have moved the needle for me. Thank you. Number one. I know this is controversial, but getting features in podcast listening apps has been huge. And there are a lot of podcast experts, many people who I adore and follow that are like, don't even worry about it. Doesn't matter if Apple Podcasts features your show. You're not doing it for Apple Podcasts. Yada. If you are interested in growth, it sure as hell matters what Apple Podcasts thinks of your show. And that's just flat out my biggest growth points in both for both dates and mates and I Make a Living, the FreshBooks podcast, have both been because of building relationships with podcast apps and getting them to feature the show. And I think a lot of people don't know that there are forms. If you just go use the Google machine and figure out the forms or you go into your podcast, what is it? Podcast, Apple, podcast Connect? Podcastconnect.apple.com, yeah. Go do a little search in there and you'll see where you can submit a feature request. Give them at least three weeks, four if you're really feeling fresh, and assume that it's probably not going to happen the first five times you submit. But the sixth time, it might happen. And so don't give up just because it hasn't happened. You have to keep keep trying and keep promoting. I remember this early on because I was working with someone I think we were working to get submitted. Is it better to have a specific episode that you want to promote or is it always general podcast and just keep submitting the whole show? Again, I think about the audience. So the audience yeah. are programmers like I used to be. They just are yeah. programming podcasts. Yeah. Unless you have a ginormous ep- guest for the episode, in my experience, it hasn't mattered. What I look for more is trends. So Valentine's Day for me in the dating business, huge trend. Black History Month for me as a black podcaster, huge trend. Though I've never been featured for a Black History Month. I, And that's a whole other conversation. But I still (laughs) try. I still try. New seasons. You know, I'd been doing my show for years and years and years. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I actually break this into seasons, that gives me another thing to promote. So like the seasons are kind of irrelevant. I just kind of start a new season the next year about when I started my first season. But a lot of times I have gotten season features. So I tell podcasters to look at look at their genre and figure out what dates on the calendar might be relevant. Go through also like Again, the long game, I go through the features on Apple for, I, I mean, I track for 
for years to see what kind of collections they are featuring. That's a good point. Seasonally, yeah. what are they putting up? I know that they do a Valentine's Day feature every year. I know they do a Black History Month feature every year. I know they do a Women's Month, Women's History Month feature. Ooh, I got to get that in. <laughs> right? So yeah. look at what, what they're already featuring. And maybe if you don't catch the wave this year, then be ready think for next about year. it. Maybe yeah, you got to be year. ready. Put it on the calendar. And really spend time crafting an excellent pitch. Really show growth you're talking about kpis show what you've achieved with the show show where you're trying to go with the show talk about the other things you're doing that will promote to the show because they want shows that people are going to listen to on their particular app if you know how to get a spotify feature please let me know because i swear i don't know i don't know who (laughs) i need to take out to drinks or something there but that's never happened for me but i keep trying so that's one Number two, I know how hard podcasting is. So I always try to say yes to podcast invitations on any show of any size. That said, I see a huge difference between like I'll go through and I have a I hired a booker. She's wonderful. I will tell everybody about her because she's amazing. Her name is Scout Sobel. But I hired her to help me with the top tier podcasts in my category. So we go through the Apple charts or the Spotify charts and we literally target certain shows. And she's been able to get me on a couple of really huge shows that have immediately changed the game Mm -hmm. for me. And then you do a couple of those shows and then other shows, like I just did Lover and Cox podcast. I was on episode two after episode one was Brene Brown. And I'm just like, WTF, (laughs) I don't know how this happened. Laverne listened to my podcast. She probably heard me on another person's podcast Then came and was like, oh, this is a pretty good podcast and asked for me. I did not pitch Laverne. So that was another huge opportunity. So I really, for massive growth, I look to those shows and I also try to group them so that they're falling around a particular launch or a season or in a particular period because I find that the the bigger bumps, like if they're all driving traffic at the same time and then you get a bigger bump in one episode or within one month, I think that registers more than little bumps, little bumps, little bumps throughout the year. That's been my experience. I'm sure you have feelings on that. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Does it make sense? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's just what I've noticed in trends. I don't have any insider intel on that. And then the other thing that I do a ton of, and I've spoken at Podcast Movement and She Podcast Conference on is media. I do a ton of media. I have become an expert in pitching media. And the work I was doing in television was not at all, it's not the same as like morning shows, newspaper. I didn't know anything about that. And I went up that learning curve. But I follow like Harrow, help a reporter out. I would get their queries on who was looking for quotes from people in my genre and dating and relationships. And I sent, again, an excellent pitch, top line, what, why you care about me and why I'm the right person. And that also, over time, incrementally drives more people to the, to the show. What's interesting about all those, it's like a methodical approach to getting it done. I love the fact that it's not a silver bullet because every podcaster wants a silver bullet and they want, they want to know what's the one thing that I can do to grow my show. I occasionally send out emails to my list. I'm like, what's the one thing you need help with with your show? 
and they'll reply with like one word they're like monetization and i'm just like <laughs> first of all i know nothing about your show and to think that like there's some button monetization button like a staples button you can push that says monetize my show mm -hmm. like that doesn't exist like and i've had experience of like one-off sponsors for podcast junkies i've got another show in vertical farming and i was able to land a sponsor before i even launched a show and that's just because it's so targeted because if you take the you know they always say what's in it for me and when you think about sponsors or growing your show i know i jumped into sponsorship but in terms of things to grow your show you know you said what's in it for your audience and then when you when you start having conversations with sponsors like what's in it for them just but thinking big picture and tracking what's working what's not you mentioned the apple features you've got to do like three to six month planning ahead to see you know when is LGBTQ Awareness Month? You know, because I'm thinking about one of my clients has got a show called Queer Hustle, right? I'm like, okay, June. they need to be thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> they need to be ready to pitch yeah. May 1st for yeah. June. Yeah. Seriously, yeah. And then the guesting yeah. thing is huge. And then also going on to these shows and how I prep my clients is when you go on another show, your intention should be that to be the best guest they ever had. Like, don't just take it for granted that you're going to go and then, you know, magic is going to happen. You need to provide value and be like, and make sure that they feel like they made the right choice in bringing you on. Exactly. I'm so glad you said that. And you're such a genius in this anyway. But that is always my intention, whatever, it, whether it's a podcast or like I started, became a regular on the Drew Barrymore show this year. And that started, I got one shot. I got one foot in the door. And it's always my intention. I was like, I'm going to get two feet in this door and <laughs> she's going to keep calling me back. So I always intend to be the best guest that they ever had and just to do my best. So I come in ridiculously prepared. I mean, I practiced and practiced and practiced for that first thing. I show up on time. I show up camera ready. I anticipate what they might need from me. I listen really well. That is honestly one of the biggest, biggest gifts that podcasting has given me is improving my listening ability. It's mm, really important. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that more because it's something that I've learned as a podcast host to be what I call an active listener and naturally curious. And I even, I remember reading a book I think the book was just called Listen by a guy named, his name escapes me for a second, he lives in LA, we connected to him, he's, he's written a, a bunch of a books on the topic. But it's a skill, and I think people think take it for granted, like, oh, I know how to listen, but, but do you really? So what does listening mean for you? It is definitely a skill, just like dating is a skill. I always tell my listeners, like, it's a learned skill. We assume it should come naturally. And I think listening is, is a dating skill. So one, improv, I, and not because I'm trying to teach teach my clients to be funny. I think people think improv, oh yeah, SNL or Second City, like da-da-da-da, bing, bada-bing, bada-boom, you know? It's not that at all. What's you, my line? <laughs> right, what's my line? If you really go down to the core of what improv teaches, it's not, it is not at all about being funny. It's about being in the present moment, mm, yeah, really listening yeah. and committing to that moment that you're in. And we are in a time where we're so, we are so, attention span is so fragmented and we're just always processing multiple things at once. So I really try, like I turn off my phone, I turn off my notifications, I try to just focus on what is in front of me at that moment. And then as a podcaster, 
I am always looking for the transitions. I'm always looking for the themes and the words. And I, I've developed the skill of sort of locking and loading so that I can, refer, you know, like even in this conversation, we've referenced back to a couple of things that we've, we've talked about previously. And I can also see in your excellence as a podcaster, you're looking for the through line for your audience. Like what is the takeaway? What is the thing that you want somebody to remember when the podcast episode is mm. done? Yeah. And if you go in with that, as the driving force. And I don't always like know what the theme of my episode is at the beginning of the episode. I'm not one of those people that determines the title before we start recording, but I listen and I see where the theme is leading is leading us. And I follow that very intentionally. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. I want to talk a little bit about the fresh books podcast. How did that opportunity come about? Again, networking, 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 right? I was at Podcast Movement. I went to an event that FreshBooks was sponsoring and they, I heard them say, we're looking for a host for season two of our podcast. And I was like, I'm not a finance person. I, and as I said earlier, I'm not a spreadsheets person. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I can think of somebody to, like, I'm always trying to be of service. I was like, maybe I could think of someone who would be right for that. And then I had gotten an invitation to go to dinner with the FreshBooks team and some other podcasters. Mm. It was totally random. I think they just picked some people who were speaking. You probably went to one of these dinners at some point. And it was super vague and a complete leap of faith. They were like, meet at this secret location and we will take you to dinner. And I was like, I'm either going to get kidnapped or I'm going to have the best time of my life, but I'm going to go for it. And I went not knowing anyone, which is still that that shy girl is still somewhere inside me. But I was like, you have to go for it. I really push myself a lot in networking situations to try to make connections with people, even if they are strangers. I had the best time of my life. I was not kidnapped, thankfully. And I connected with Francisco Arizmendi, who is the producer of the podcast. And he was saying, like, we're not looking for someone who's a finance expert. We're looking for someone who's an entrepreneur who has a business, a sustainable business that they have been building for a while that is interested in telling the stories of other small business owners and connecting with them and hearing about their journey. So I thought about it and I was like, actually, that's a lifestyle podcast. I'm a lifestyle content creator, even though it's under the arc of business and entrepreneurship. It is what I do. And as he was describing it more, I was like, actually, that sounds like me. So I put my hat in the ring. I went through a very extensive application process and I had to do like a sample mini episode. I had to do a deck. I had to do multiple interviews, not knowing if I was going to get it, but it ended up being a fit and it's been almost two years and I love it. And I learned so much as an entrepreneur and it's been a really different experience than dates and mates, but really fulfilling at the same time. What's been the major difference? Money. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. I mean, in all seriousness, it's, it's funded by a brand. It's sort of a marketing endeavor, but also a service to their existing audience. So they invest in it and they're willing to try different things to grow it and and invest in the production. And there is something a little bit 
comforting about knowing like when you're podcasting on your own and you're like, if I put this money down, like this is my own money. And if this goes away, I'm going to be really sad. Yeah, yeah. And there's something that is really freeing about knowing that you're being funded by a company that wants to do whatever it takes to make, to make a podcast work. How much time do you put in a week for a show prep? I see. I'm not good at, <laughs> I'm not good at spreadsheets. I really should sit down and track it. I want to say like 10 to 15 hours okay. a week. It's, yeah. it's a fair amount of my yeah, time. Yeah, it's not insignificant, but it's something that's valuable for you to ensure that you're delivering the quality that they're expecting. Exactly. And we work in seasons, so it's not all of the time, but it really, it is a time investment and it is, it is also an energetic investment because, you know, when you take on more projects, it's just you're always thinking. Yeah, I'm sure you experience this with power. your clients too, yeah. right? Yeah. You wake up at six in the morning and you're like, wait, I'm thinking about that client. I'm thinking about that, you know, that other person's some ideas for that other person. So it's really fulfilling, but I have been, you know, full on running two podcasts is not for the faint of heart. <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah, you have. And it's not something you can do as a side hustle. Like I see a lot of people that are like, oh, I've got like three podcasts I kind of halfway do as a side hustle, which is fine if you're just doing it for the for the love of podcasting. But if you're really trying to monetize and grow, you have to take it as seriously as a job. And it really is for me now. Like I'm a professional podcaster. Yeah, be intentional about the work you do because I think, to your point, people see this as something they can just, I'll, I'll take two or three of these gigs on and then I'll just get paid for them. And that's why I, was, I wanted to ask you that because I think if you wanted to deliver something and do that one thing, like be a guest host on a show and know that if anyone was to ever ask you or another company, they would look at that, they would speak to FreshBooks and you would know that you'd be setting yourselves up for maybe even a bigger opportunity because you've taken this seriously because you've put in the time and you realize, feel like it comes full circle, this conversation now, like who you meet on the way up, meet on the way down, that aspect of it comes into play here because the effort you put into delivering and being a quality host is going to pay off for you. And you don't know when, and, and maybe something where we look back like four years from now and you'd be like, Hey Harry, like remember when we talked about that on your show? Like I'm now hosting like this other huge show or something like that that came out because of this opportunity. So just really yes. having that mind of like thinking forward and always taking pride in the work that you do, I think is extremely important and, and a great takeaway. Look at you with your great listening skills, <laughs> pulling that call back. Yes. And it's so true. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that, the people that I've met in podcasting, I really look, I'm playing the long game and I'm looking to form long-term relationships. And I've really had to be brave and take a lot of risks as well. Like it was a risk going to that dinner. I also now have begun hosting for NPR's podcast, Life Kit, which is like a dream come true to host for NPR. And also far more work than I ever imagined it would be. Because <laughs> I'm really like, I'm editing the scripts, I'm writing the scripts and writing all the VO around it. I was like, I didn't know I was signing up for this. But it's such a great education. But that all started because 
I was at Podcast Movement. Again, the person that spoke before me was from Life Kit. And I was like, wow, I'd really love to be on that show. That really sounds like a good fit for me. And that little nugget turned into, I saw her at a party at another podcasting conference months later. I bravely walked up to her and was like, remember that talk you gave? I was at it. And I remembered details from the talk. And then we connected and she referred me to someone who referred me to someone else. And literally, I want to say, oh gosh, it was more than a year later, I ended up then hosting my first episode of Life Kit. And, you know, I didn't, yes, I had the goal of maybe hosting for Life Kit, but I didn't set out when I, when I went to Podcast Movement, I wasn't like, I'm going to go go find someone on life kit right i really just kind of looked at what's the next step that i have to do and nurturing this relationship long term and then i did an excellent job the first time so they've asked me back again and now we have an ongoing relationship that i hope continues to grow and lead to new opportunities that i don't even know exist even at this point when i'm sitting here talking to you what's uh, the topic for life kit I do their dating and relationship episodes. So I did an episode on breakups at the beginning of the year. My last episode was an interview with an author of a book called How to Not Die Alone. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty direct. But we talked about online dating. She's a behavioral scientist for Hinge. We talked about human behavior. And like, that's the other amazing thing about podcasting. I feel like I learn something every time I sit down and have a conversation with someone, I get something out of it that enhances my life as well. So even if nothing further comes out of it, just that that moment that we shared, like the moment we're sharing now, is something that's really valuable for me and keeps me going. And to bring it back full, full circle, I think your mom would be proud of the little girl in the schoolyard who was too shy to go up to meet a new friend. Now, years later, is able to go to a woman at a podcast conference and push herself out of her comfort zone and make an introduction that leads to something that you couldn't have imagined. So (laughs) she would be she tells me she's proud. And she also takes full credit. She does not forget that she was the one that started this whole thing. But um, yeah, I mean, but that does also remind me of the importance of community and the people around you who believe in you. And I know for some people that might not be their mom, but maybe there's somebody else who can be your cheerleader, your accountability coach, your podcast coach. Maybe it's Harry, but having that the cheerleader and that accountability is what keeps us going because it's not the monetization. If it was the monetization, I would have left podcasting a long time ago. It's really much more about the other elements that we talked about today. Very cool. A couple last questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Sending my kids back to school. <laughs> First, I was like, no, Could no, no, COVID. I'm so Could scared. be anything, yeah. <laughs> um, and now I'm like, just go somewhere, anywhere. I don't care. Put on a mask and just go. <laughs> what else have I changed my mind about? Gosh, that's such a good question. I've changed my mind, Harry, about having to do it all. I feel like For a long time, I thought I have to know everything. I have to do everything myself, even in, especially in podcasting. Like, well, (laughs) now I got to market it. I've, I've got to edit it. I have to do all these things. And I have changed my mind and realized that a team 
mentality is much better. There are people who are much faster at editing and much better at it than I am. And I don't necessarily have to go all the way up the learning curve on everything and wear every single hat. I can just do my job well and find the right people to fill in the gaps around me. That's a really good one. I forget what the saying is. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, I love that. I hadn't Something. heard that one. See, yeah, some... <laughs> dropping these wisdom wisdom bombs here. I love it. <laughs> What's the most misunderstood thing about you? I'm such an open book. I don't, I don't know that there's that much that's misunderstood about me. <laughs> that, I'll just speak frankly, I think people look at my life and like, especially my clients, you know, I'm in a happy marriage and they think like, she's got it all. Everything's perfect in her life. And I try to instill this feeling in them that nothing is perfect. I am not, I am imperfect. I am as imperfect as they come, but I have a growth mindset and I believe that every experience we can learn from and every day we have a chance to become better. So I don't hold out my husband or my life or the journey that I've been on or what I've achieved as as evidence of perfection. And I feel like sometimes people get the wrong message. It's actually evidence of hard work. It's evidence of growth. It's evidence of being focused on learning from my mistakes. And we're all still learning. Beautiful bow to this fantastic, wonderful, wide-ranging entertaining, enlightening conversation. Thank you so much, Demona. I, that's not like a broken record when I say I never know where these are going to go. And based on our initial chat, we connected through Podcast Movement, the uh, Podcast Academy yes. as well, which I, I thought was interesting. And just being open for new conversations, new friendships, new connections, I think is ends up in, in magical places sometimes. <laughs> so I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit more and connecting because we don't have the conferences. We, this would probably be a two-hour long conversation in a hallway in a future podcast conference. But for now, <laughs> we'll just do it as an interview. So thanks for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. And I sincerely hope we have a chance to have more conversations in person sometime soon. So in the interest of connecting with you virtually, where's the best place for folks to learn about the shows <laughs> and you? I am on all of the socials at Demona Hoffman. And I am at DemonaHoffman.com. And of course, the Dates and Mates podcast and I make a living. Well, thanks again, Demona. I uh, really enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Harry. Thanks again to Demona for coming on the show. Always appreciate it. A lot of fun with this conversation. Her energy level is really contagious. Full show notes available at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 255. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, specifically the Scarlet 2i2 Pro at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash chat 15. Tune in next week for my conversation with two guests, Allison Williams of Newark Ventures and Darren Bedol, Director of Strategic Initiatives at Audible. As you can probably guess from their two positions, it's going to be an interesting conversation on the future of podcasting with a sneak peek at what's happening at Audible. If you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with TV Demona, T-V-D-A-M-O-N-A. Tag us at podcast underscore junkies and Demona at at Demona Hoffman, D-A-M-O-N-A-H-O-F-F. 
M-A-N. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.